Welcome to the Five Good Ideas podcast, where we rebroadcast some of the best sessions of Maitri's popular program. My name is Elizabeth McIsaac, president of Maitri. We're a Toronto-based organization committed to exploring solutions to poverty in Canada using a human rights approach. For each session of Five Good Ideas, we invite experts from the nonprofit or corporate sector to share five practical ideas on a key management issue facing nonprofit organizations today. In this session, originally recorded on April 22nd, 2021, we asked Marina Glogovac to share five good ideas for demystifying digital transformation. While many of you are dialing in from across Canada, I'm speaking to you from Toronto. I'd like to begin today's session by acknowledging the land where we live and work and recognizing our responsibilities and relationships where we are. As we are meeting and connecting virtually today, I encourage you to acknowledge the place you occupy. I am and Maitri is on the historical territory of the Huron-Wendat, Petun, Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the New Credit Indigenous Peoples. This territory is covered by the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Belt Covenant, an agreement between the Haudenosaunee and the Ojibwe and allied nations to peaceably share and care for the lands and resources around the Great Lakes. In this session today, Marina Glogovats, President and CEO of Canada Helps will share insights on one of the hottest topics out there right now, digital transformation. That is to say, she will look at how digital technology is transforming how we do business and provide our services, often replacing non-digital or manual processes with digital ones, or replacing older technology with newer digital technology. With a career spanning nearly three decades in technology and media, including working in the magazine industry during the shift to the internet, Marina knows the challenges that come from what many of you see as forced disruptions. In this session, she's going to help us understand what digital transformation actually means and how to think about it and approach this seemingly overwhelming task. It is now my pleasure to welcome Marina. Over to Marina for your five good ideas. Welcome and thank you. Thank you. Today, we're going to talk about, I think, what has become incredibly popular topic, especially in the pandemic and post-pandemic, although we're not post-pandemic yet. That is digital transformation. I wanted to create a bit of a shared understanding about what digital transformation is and why it matters, although I suspect that won't be uh, in dispute very much. As Elizabeth mentioned, in the 1990s and early 2000s, I was a magazine publisher. I was running different print uh, titles, and I really went, along with my colleagues in the print publishing industry and magazine industry, we went through incredibly painful disruption by the internet. And I, in reflecting back, I realized so many things that are that really ring true when I read research. And so I become really interested in digital transformation, not just now, but for years. And I've been reading lots of studies, of course, McKenzie, KPMG, Deloitte, they have all done, and others as well, they have all done tons of studies on, on, on how does one go through this period of upheaval and disruption. Really, my personal experience coheres with stuff that I'm reading. And I have to say that last week I spent reading probably three dozen studies just in what's happened since the pandemic and how things have changed. And again, some of the best practices that are seen in the companies that report success. And the third goal is to understand the role of culture, change management, and leadership. And one thing that I always say that is based on this experience that I described quickly is that 
to thrive in the digital economy. It goes way beyond adopting software and hardware or even hiring some talent. It, it really does. It calls for a much broader organizational transformation. And it, it really asks for deeper changes, organizational, cultural, and leadership. I can tell you 100% that this is true because back in the 2000s, a whole bunch of smart magazine publishers, we hired talent, we got technology and we created new departments, but we really underestimated the change, the depth of change and what we really needed to do. So our mindset very much was unchanged until we had to go through a painful transition. And if you probably, many people on this webinar know how much print publishing and print newspapers have really been decimated by this. I think this is very much true. What is the digital economy? Digital economy is incredibly fast growing ecosystem that in 2016 was worth 11.5 trillion American dollars and represented uh, 15% of the global GDP. And because of the pandemic and because of the pace uh, and acceleration of changes and adoption of consumer internet, it is now predicted that by 2025, the digital economy will actually represent a third of, of, of the global GDP. So obviously, this is far-reaching in consequences, and we don't have the time today to talk about so many consequences of this that also include inequality and displacement and all sorts of other things. It's outside of scope of this presentation, but it's clear that donors and consumers are driving this change because they're demanding to engage and to transact in digital channels. They're demanding that they find things where they are. So this is this multi-channel universe, which is very consumer-centric. And they're really the ones who are driving organizations and companies to adopt because otherwise they would lose customers. In our case, we would lose donors or we stand to lose donors in the future. Another thing that I also want to point out is that digital economy also requires new org charts. This is one thing that I see often, that there are new roles, there are new jobs. We didn't have data scientists and data analysts 10 years ago, and really new ways of working. So the nature of who can succeed in it, it's somewhat at odds with our old hierarchical methods of decision-making and communicating and how we're organized within organizations. And that also is changing. We all know this. And I was really struck when I went through the research at just how crazy things have gotten during the pandemic, where the companies not only shifted into digital, but they greatly accelerated all of their pre-pandemic plans to for digital transformation or investment into digital infrastructure or investment into cybersecurity and, and, and digital online privacy or a pipeline of products and services that they were going to launch that were digital by seven years. And the pace of adaptation and how quickly companies adopted, again, this is a generalization, was just really incredible. So one thing that there is a huge consensus around is that things will not go back to how they were. Partially because so many companies invested a lot into transitioning or pivoting into a different way of working and investing into their overall digital infrastructures, that there is no going back. And this is also because this already existed. The pandemic has only accelerated what were already very strong trends um, out there. 
The, the first idea is just coming out of what we just talked about, is that this is not about technology. I have to say that I think the number one reason that I read in surveys why these efforts fail is that it's viewed in a very narrow way. It's viewed as something new that the IT has to do or needs to do or something that the digital marketers have to do or need to do or maybe something that we need to do online with donors or customers. It's really broader than that. It's more about a shift in how we get organized to work and how to get work done and how we also can deliver value to stakeholders. And there are different stakeholders, obviously, for charities than for for-profit businesses. So it does really require a cultural change. It requires a change into a digital first, mobile first. What else is possible? Because technology does remove barriers. It does remove physical barriers. It does remove barriers to access to, to services and programs. So really thinking about what new value could be created by the use of technology is also part of it. A very compelling case study that I read somewhere, I think it was from KPMG, is really about that story. This has to start with the story of who we are and what we do and why we're doing this. Not just the what, not just the acquisition of technology or new system or software or hardware. It's really a lot about why this needs to happen and clear communication. Another reason that we see this fails, it's not a project that is a three months or six months or even a year. It's a journey that is iterative and that it will actually last for a long time. It's almost like transitioning into a different operating and business paradigm. Very depressing, actually, and I'm not surprised, but so many digital transformation efforts fail. It's not a reason not to do them. It's just really to understand that they're hard to achieve and they're hard to do well. Because, as I said, it's not about acquisition of technology. It's about so much more. And now maybe I'm actually mystifying this further, but I do want to really emphasize this because it's important to have the strategy and the prioritization. Lots of companies hire outside consultants, and I think for charities, it's unavoidable, and I think it's a good thing, but there is no silver bullet here. This is hard. And also, there is no one-size-fits-all, and so on and so forth. So there is that over-reliance on outside consultants and underestimation of all other factors that we've been talking about. I'm surprised at how often poor communication throughout these efforts is actually quoted as you know, one of the top reasons why things fail. Because of the pace of change, because of the nature of change, old models of operating, and I think for so many smaller charities, is the board involvement for big organizations that are very hierarchical. There are layers of approvals. It's dissonant with what's needed here, which is a quick learning, failing, learning, tweaking rapid decision-making, things don't have to be perfect. So that culture of experimentation and risk-taking and learning is often not present in more traditional industries or even in bigger industries, which is why usually it's the smaller organizations that pivot and do this better than larger ones. But it's important to really understand that there has to be a new kind of culture and new org chart, really, a new architecture of communication and decision-making that is more consistent with the pace of change that we're seeing all around us. The second idea is that, having said that, you do have the right technology. And of course, there are basics that so many charities have already. One thing that I often hear about from charities and businesses, and I read about as well in this research that I'm 
referencing is the integration between systems. Lots of organizations end up with tons of disparate systems that don't communicate with each other. Information is hard to transfer between one system to the next. And so that's not scalable. So I think it really pays to uh, have the vision of the system uh, or systems integration and architecture ahead of time as charities engage in selecting uh, technology and systems, uh, you know, software, to actually have that in mind on how they can integrate their sales technology with their marketing technology, with donor management technology, with online processing, with some collaborative tools that are used internally and so on and so forth. Because having lots of different systems that are disparate is actually also uh, flagged as one of the, the key obstacles. And it's hard to go back and undo it all. So I think it pays to think about it ahead of time. Because we talk about digital transformation a lot, and I talk about digital transformation a lot. I actually got tired of quoting US and UK research all the time, because there was no baseline research in Canada about any of this. So at Canada Helps, we just completed a survey with 1,400 charities that participated, because we wanted to see where charities in Canada are at when it comes to digital adoption and digital capacity and digital transformation, and to use that as a baseline. And hopefully we'll be able to do it every couple of years to see if the needle gets moved. What are some of the key barriers? We saw the same things, frankly, that I see in UK and US research, which is that many charities really know and understand that this is very important and that it will be hard for them to operate if they don't improve their digital capabilities. Many say that they don't have enough funding and they don't have the skills, the know-how, the expertise to really do this. But it will surprise me a little bit, to be honest, because I simply do not see this in the for-profit research and surveys, is that quite a few said that this is not their top priority. And that kind of worried me a little bit. But anyway, this is a good survey with a lot of interesting insights. And I think this is actually a good one to share with the board or even with other stakeholders. Idea number three is that I think the goals and the vision has to be set, as I said, in more than just IT. It's not just the donor. It's really about a few things. The donor relationship, donor management, I think we understand that. Internal productivity tools, new service, new services, new revenue models. So this is really about adding value through the use of technology and expanding what you do. And then culture and roles. When we go to the service and revenue models, this is where I think the real opportunity is we make sure that our online donor acquisition and retention is set up the best it can be, that we have the data and analytics to drive insights and segment and, and really start increasing our sophistication in deriving and generating revenues online. In the pandemic, online donations have really increased dramatically, even if the overall giving, sadly, has actually decreased. But after the donors and customers and internal productivity tools, which really is a lot about using collaborative tools, creating new levels of transparency, empowering staff and team members or workforce to actually be decision makers and to have greater input into what's happening in the organization, that's very important. But then comes this third one that is my favorite, which is really about self-disruption a little bit and understanding what more can the organization do through the use of technology.
I do want to say that leaders are very important in this, in this transition. The leaders that are capable of leading organization through this change are the leaders who are excellent with change management and who understand the new philosophy, the new culture, the new sensibilities that are coming with the adoption of digital economy and digitization. And that is a lot about agility and rapid decision-making and removing bureaucracy and red tape and involving employees as well. There is actually research that says that when employees are given capability to be involved and to generate their own ideas about how digitization can support the business, those organizations are far more likely to report success. And really the people believing in change, believing this is important. I cannot underemphasize how important that is because we assume that everybody's on board. The organizational resistance is very powerful. I think communication and involving everyone and collaborating, it's super important. I think charities are so good at doing a lot with little and surviving on passion, on knowing how to help and serve and change the world for the better. And they often do it with so little. One of the things I said to a colleague from the for-profit the other day, is, what can for-profits learn from charities? And I said, well, how to do a lot with little is one thing that comes to mind. But we have really underinvested into ourselves and we're really coming out from out of the decades of underinvestment into our own capacity and capability and infrastructure and overall organizational capability to scale results. There is no way that we can embark on this journey without some investment. I just don't see any other way. So I don't know how I'm not a fundraiser. I don't know how this case gets made to funders and boards and other ones, but it absolutely has to happen. And a big reason why this has to happen is that I worry about this. We at Canada Helps have a really hard time hiring people and paying them market rate because, of course, we need the best people to do what we do. And those people are also sought after by Shopify down the street and all the for-profits and everybody else. In this era where everybody considers digital transformation massively important for their survival. All of a sudden, charities will have to compete with hiring digital talent, which is in an incredibly high demand. And the compensation in this space is literally going through the roof. Lots of people are really so happy to work for a charity and younger people, and they will maybe forego the options, maybe they'll forego bonuses, but you have to be in the market range for their salaries. I think charities will have a hard time. And it is absolutely established that the digital transformation success is more than three times likely in organizations that actually invest in sufficient digital talent. This is on top of training everybody and really transitioning the current staff and, and, and other things. I really don't know how especially smaller charities will do this. I was encouraged to see that the government recognizes everything we're talking about. The government recognizes this to be true for the small, medium-sized businesses, which I think are somewhat comparable. They launched Digital Main Street, which is, I think, a fairly successful program in this budget that just got announced. There is the Canada Digital Adoption Program where they're planning to pair small and medium-sized businesses with digital volunteers or digital experts. I don't know exactly how they're planning on doing that. I know that Imagine Canada is looking into whether charities will be included in this, but I'm, I'm actually thinking that highly skilled volunteers in the space of digital technology 
probably will be a way to alleviate this. The final idea from this presentation is really go digital or go dark. I've seen this, I've been observing this for a long time. Since my time as a magazine publisher, it's happening and it doesn't matter whether we like it or not. The change is not asking us whether it's good or bad. It's really massive and it's coming. So I really consider this question of being able to transition into this new world, a very big one for charities and consequently for the civil uh, society in Canada and Canadians and all of us. I actually consider it incredibly consequential. It's not about eliminating the old. One interesting thing that I found in one article that I read is that companies that actually were aware of this integration between the old and the new, because it's not about just slapping new on top of the old, because there will be a dissonance between the two. And it's about integrating them and then transforming how we operate. This article said that when companies were aware of these integrator roles and assigned the integrator roles to some staff, that they also reported better success. And I think that makes sense to me. I think we're at the end of my time here. There are some resources that Canada Helps can offer. We're also thinking about how to be more helpful to charities in this era. We have questions, Marina. That was that was absolutely fascinating and, and so thoughtful. I think it's also a call to action. It, it's really a compelling case that you've made about how we need to respond and actually uh, move fairly quickly if we want to stay relevant and stay purposeful and impactful. Katie Gibson has gotten to the front of the line, so I'm going to start with her question because it's such a good one. She says, I wrote an article in Future of Good Today where I argue that we should start to address digital transformation not as an organizational choice, but as a sector imperative, drawing on lessons learned from building a social finance ecosystem. I'd love to hear Marina's views on how we can accelerate this work at the sector level and build a strong ecosystem. That's a big question. I I couldn't agree more. I think we all have so many conversations. I know I have conversations with Imagine Canada all the time about this. And when I see the government recognize this issue with small, medium-sized businesses to the point that they're really pouring millions of dollars to help them, they obviously understand the importance of small, medium-sized businesses as the backbone of economy. But charities are the backbone of economy as well. It's just that maybe more people don't realize that. So we need to educate them. That's absolutely clear to me. But I don't know, Katie, I think maybe we need to convene. Definitely government support is important. I think creating some collaborative mechanisms, because absolutely, I think we have to fight for our sector. We have to fight that we do this, that we get help that we need, that funders recognize that investments need to be made, and also that mistakes will be made and we will learn from our failures. I've never seen a sector that is more afraid to fail because of the funders. We can't fail and we can't share what we learn because that's seen as undesirable. So I don't know, to be honest, I think that's really worth thinking about. And I really love the idea of the ecosystem because we are the ecosystem. And I look at the digital mainstream and I I envy it. I just go, wow, like, this is amazing. (laughs) This is amazing. Why don't we have that? So the ecosystem begins with the individual organizations in some ways. And so the next question begins with terrific presentation, and I would concur. But how does a very small nonprofit with limited resources, but great willingness get started? 
Are there resources that help develop integrated strategies if there isn't expertise internally? And, and I think it's the question, I'm so many charities and so many nonprofits are micro, they're not just small businesses, like they're 10 people, 15 yeah. people. How do you get started when you're small? Yes, you have to get started somehow. <laughs> Just get started somehow. I think it is hard. There are resources around. We have a lots of resources and I'm hoping that maybe Canada Helps can do more. I would love to partner with some organizations and create a bit of a, that learning and training infrastructure that we so badly need. But I think starting with something small, getting your board on board, first of all, finding some resources to maybe bring some digital expertise in-house, whether it's outside or inside, and really doing a bit of a gap analysis on whether the basics are in place. I know that um, my friend um, and colleague, Anya McGuinn, she is now on her own and she does the, the audit, what she calls the audit. I really like it, actually. She walked me through uh, the other day, the audit in everything from tools to donor facing, just to create a bit of a blueprint of where the organization is at and what was the path forward. And she's very affordable. So I think starting with that, with some sort of clarity on where you're at and where you might need to go and how much that can cost initially, and then going around raising the money and figuring out how to execute it. But yeah, it's hard. Look, it's hard for small organizations. Actually, in some of the studies that I read, small organizations are at advantage because they can move more quickly versus a massive corporation. Are there other pace setter organizations other than Canada Helps in the nonprofit sector that are perhaps doing some sharing on learning and leadership in this space? Is there sort of a growing um, learning community? Not surprising, this comes from Liz Weaver, who's all about building learning communities, but do we have the sort of the, the basics of that? Yeah, I think that there are lots of resources online. There are lots of uh, technology companies that create fundraising technology, and they all have tons of resources and the donor management systems. There are resources out there. When I talk to smaller charities, they sometimes say there is so much out there and we don't know what's good, what's not good. And that's true, right? There is a lot in there, but I love this idea as well. I love the idea of a learning collaborative and maybe establishing a centralized resource where case studies, and sharing of the knowledge and resources. And again, like the digital main street, it's a good idea. I, I think there is a lot. This is a lucrative space and it's a lucrative space for a lot of for-profits because everything is going online, including donations. And generally speaking, the knowledge about, you know, the customer online acquisition, retention, increasing the value, the lifetime value of the customer. Charities actually deal with this terminology and have been for a long time. There is a lot there, but I'm not aware that there is anything in a kind of more organized fashion. I think it's a really good idea. This is a little bit related. This is from Adam Barrett. I work with a backbone organization that serves a bunch of nonprofits across the country. It's hard enough pushing for digital transformation at my own organization, let alone aligning data systems metrics across a bevy of other organizations. What are some best practices for doing that, especially when dealing with many organizations that are frontline and possibly burning out from the pandemic? It's a big question. I always say like start somewhere, start anywhere. It doesn't matter. To me, this has become more of a journey that you need to embark upon with some courage and Forgetting about perfection, yeah. because I don't know, Adam, what's involved exactly in exactly what you're doing, but I can only, it just sounds very exhausting just listening. It, it sounds like a huge task and retrofitting, right? This is why incumbents always 
fall behind the, the disruptors, right? Because disruptors don't have that. They don't have the legacy. We have legacy at Canada Health. It's how do you deal with this? You have to start somewhere. You have to start chipping away at it. And I said, prioritize and decide what is the most important thing and what is the second most important thing. I think to me, this is a lot about approach and organization and the mindset because it's just really hard, right? When I read all the stories, 70% of all digital transformation efforts fail and they fail with organizations that have infinitely more resources than charities. So charities need to be smart. We need to prioritize and we need to bend together. Uh, I really like uh, that idea that we need to create an ecosystem to help ourselves, to help ourselves get there. And I don't know, maybe we need to circle back and see what that might look like. And then we need to go to the government and say, look, we deserve the same at minimum as what you're extending to small, medium-sized businesses because you recognize what a critical issue this is for them. And many of them are in the same boat. What didn't work, you're out in front on much of this, were there early days where you did things where you thought that was a mistake? I think I shared much of it. And we're a pure technology kind of digital organization that is mostly staffed by people who came like me from the for-profit sector to actually do something worthwhile with their lives and their skill set. We move very quickly. We pivot. We're very ambitious, again, for an organization that is a charity and is not financed like many other players in the sector are. I think we do pretty darn well because we're smart and we prioritize and we care so much. I think what charities have going for them that often and businesses don't have is that passion, right? That courage to, to push through. As I said, I think looking back at, at myself as a magazine publisher, I think what I didn't see is I didn't see that larger change is required. And people always say to me, no, Marina, give us something tactical. Oh, who wants to think about culture? That's so abstract. But we see over and over again, and it's absolutely in all research. And I think underestimating and not having that sense of urgency and not starting somewhere. This is the thing. We can all be so paralyzed because this is really hard. It's hard, but it's like we need to start somewhere. So starting somewhere is better than not doing anything, right? Absolutely. And it, it is profound. I think you've made the case. It's transformative. It's profound. It's our industrial revolution. It's <laughs> If you're not doing it, you're still going to be riding a horse. So how do we get there? Dan Clement from United Way Canada asks, I think, a great question. With the emergence of for-profit donor engagement platforms, the potential loss of data can be a challenge for charities. Are you able to comment on this challenge for the charitable sector? Is this something that's on your radar, Marina? Loss of data, as in? I guess in, in the collection of, in, as a, the platform for fundraising isn't with, held within. I'm not sure. I don't know if Dan wants to further that. Yeah, yeah. there is the underbelly of everything we're talking about. There is the underbelly of privacy. It's not for no reason that consumer privacy, the whole issue of cybersecurity has become such a big thing in, in this space because it's been accelerated to like incredible degree. The hackers, the, so we're, we're really entering this whole new world where uh, the data, the privacy, who owns data, sharing potentials for hacks that happen. They happen all the time. And also the artificial intelligence and the dark side of the artificial intelligence where the inequality algorithms get baked. I think this whole thing just has so much potential to create a more divided world that favors white collar workers who are technologically savvy and sophisticated and creates further inequalities. And through the 
that the ethical use of technology and the ethical use of AI, it's a massive concern. And, and with that comes the data. So this is like a different presentation. But honestly, it's pretty dark when you start looking into some of the potential fallouts. So I think there has to be um, a real effort to understand how the entire society can benefit from technology and artificial intelligence and how to distribute the benefits equally between different organizations, different people. Data is a big part of it. I don't know exactly what Dan had in mind. But, uh, uh, he followed up with donor data and insights. And so I guess, we're, again, where you're not able to, that's part of how you, that informs strategy and, and going back into the, the charity to understand who's supporting your work and how you can read into some of that. And so if you don't own the data, just as you said, owning the data yeah, and having access yeah. is... And, and so many of the platforms that are out there, which again, are driven by consumers wanting to interact with charities on those platforms, they have a mandate. They have, there is an agenda there, right? This is why they need their data for their own purposes. I think we'll probably see a lot more regulations. I'm hoping we'll see a lot more regulations around around the use of you know, private data. And, and frankly, I really am one of those people that believe that our data should not be used to enrich for-profit companies and their shareholders, that there has to be this whole contract where we don't have to pay for something, but then our data is used. It's actually not equal because the amount of revenues that those organizations generate while we put up with ads and stuff, there is a lot of stuff in there that I'm hoping will come under increased scrutiny and regulation. I think Europe is a bit ahead on the privacy regulations and protection, to be honest. But it's a big thing because everything is so fragmented. Charities have to deal with all these different channels. They have data from all these different channels. Then they have to integrate it. Half of them are really hard to even get to. So it's not easy. I'm sorry. I feel like I sound really depressing because every, every answer that I have, it shouldn't deter us because what we do is so important. But it's just, yeah. It's complex. It's complex. And, and there's a lot to think through. I think that's an important reminder that this isn't just a flipping the switch. Back to your point, there's a lot involved in bringing this into your organization and thinking through what the impacts are. I'm noticing the time and I think we want to just maybe have one last question. Since there's nothing right now in the Q&A box, I'm going to use my own question. The digital transformation is a means of removing barriers, but we're talking about nonprofits and charities that also uh, their work is often in programs and services. And so are there any lessons about what barriers we may unintentionally be putting up in the digitized space as we digitize what we do and how we think and how we operate? Are, are there risks there that we need to be mindful of? For sure. Absolutely. This will be a transition. And I think much like we're looking at the back to work hybrid model, I think will exist in a hybrid way. So in an ideal situation, charities will become better at online donor acquisition and retention, data-driven segmentation, getting more money from donors, becoming more self-sustainable and through a scalable technology-enabled way. They will be able to transition some services to technology that are possible to transition and many will not be, so they will stay. It's possible that some new ideas will come about that could be enabled by technology or not, but I would strongly suggest that becomes one part of it. Hopefully, charities will adopt some productivity tools just to make their staff better and faster and with more transparency. We just have to do the parts that we can and then add some, and we have to continue when we're able to 
We know that this pandemic, unfortunately, is just going to have massive collateral damage and with people who really can afford it the least. And I think charity's work is honestly just, yeah, it's, it's just going to be so key for, you know, forever. I want to give Rod Burns, who put something into the Q&A box, which I think is useful to everyone to hear. Ontario's Information Privacy Commissioner just published its strategic priorities for 2021 to 25. These include government openness and accountability, empowering citizens with control over their own information, and realizing a just society through data for good. So these are good. 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 Promising. So thank you, Rod. I want to say thank you to you, Marina. That was absolutely fabulous. It was so informative. It was so thoughtful and so timely. Um, Really grateful that you made the time to share that with us. Thank you for listening to Five Good Ideas with Marina Glogovac. We link to the Five Good Ideas resources and a full transcript of the session in our show notes. You can find all our Five Good Ideas sessions from past seasons on the Maytree website at maytree.com forward slash five dash good dash ideas. And you can subscribe to the Five Good Ideas podcast to continue to listen to our best sessions. See you next time.